0: My friend uh, Ben King, he makes me uh, these videos every summer so that I can show you guys what's going on. And uh, I didn't see that video till yesterday. And so it's always encouraging to me to just to see all the faces. And it's a reminder that what we're doing is about people. And those are all the connections and the people that God's brought in our life and allowed us to be a part of. And you are a part of that story as well. My name is Josh Bennett. For those of you who don't know us, that's my wife Donna and Mara and Eden. And uh, we are uh, pastoring a North American Mission Board church plant. I'm not a church plant catalyst or an assessed church planter. I'm just a regular old pastor. (laughs) But that is why the connections are so important because although you give to missions through the cooperative program, which, which is an, a great um, a thing that b- Baptists do, what I love and I think is the future uh, in, of missions and church planning is what's your pastor here is uh, the vision that he's casting for, for adopting us. And guys, I don't, I want you to know the relationships that we have with you, prayer partners, financial uh, assistance that you give is essential for us to be able to be up there. Half of what we make through the church or our ability to stay there is based upon individuals that give to us and churches that support us regularly. And so I'm grateful for you guys. And I'm always reminding my people of how closely we are connected together and how people are praying. Let, let me pray for our church right now. At this moment, Life Church is gathering. Dwight Willard is preaching for me today. And uh, it, it's exciting to think that our little loose gathering of people in Elizabethtown has become a, a real Life Church. And uh, even in my absence, I left it up to them as kind of a a, a test, if you will. That's what pastors do for their people sometimes. I said, we're not going to have Wednesday night service. I'm going to leave it up to you. You guys figure it out. Well, they have been meeting on their own, and uh, people have said, hey, I want to lead a lesson. And uh, so it's really exciting to see God draw together some people that are now a real church, a, a local body of believers who love Jesus. So let's pray for Life Church right now as they're gathering together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we love you and praise you, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather together and worship you. And it's exciting to think that all over, all over the globe, uh, people are gathering to worship. It, it may be in a church with a steeple, it may be in a storefront. It could be in someone's basement or living room, but you're gathering your people together to to pray and worship you. God, we thank you for what you're doing in Elizabethtown. In some of the darker places of the world, uh, a light shines, the light of the gospel. And so, Lord, I pray today that some may even be saved in this service or in Elizabethtown as they gather together today. God, we just know that your Holy Spirit is working in power. And Lord, we thank you for the cross and the blood that was shed there for us. And Father, we pray all this in your holy and in your precious name. Amen. Our church is in a storefront. We rent uh, from, from a, a gentleman there, and I run a cafe out of the front of our church throughout the week, Monday through Thursday. And it affords me an awesome opportunity to get to just talk to people. And I'm telling you, these people have deep spiritual conversations with me who would never even think of darkening the door of the pastor's office, but they will come and sit and have, have coffee and they'll gather together there. And so I've had a lot of great gospel conversations using the, the cafe. And I want to thank you, your church Uh, provided funds for us to have a new coffee maker and some new supplies there. And that's made my life easier. Um, and I, and I, am grateful for that. Also, uh, you know, that we had last year operation lipstick on a pig. That's what I named the, the, your mission trip to Elizabethtown to come paint, uh, our church and, uh, I'm just, you guys have already painted my house, and you painted my church, and the weather is so hard on paint up there, so it's probably time for you guys to come up again and do my house <laughs> again. There's some flex out there. I, I promise you guys, I will never ask you to paint anything else in Elizabethtown ever again. But, uh, it, that, the, 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 that story began where we had asked a local church if we could uh, rent space from them. And uh, long story short, after eight months of deliberating and for them talking about it, the pastor came to me, who had been there 30 years and was retiring, said, we met with the church, and they decided that they were going to reject that opportunity and he said the number one reason was because you're evangelical, and they did not want to be associated with, with, your, with evangelicals. <laughs> so I never used the word evangelical. I only told the trustees, hey, I love Jesus. I preach salvation through Christ and God's word, and we want to love our community. That's exactly what I told them, and they don't want to be associated with that. So the wheels got turning, and we said, hey, let's, uh, th- let's put some lipstick on this pig. And so uh, you guys came up last summer and painted our building, and I'm telling you, it looks great. And you got to see some of the pictures there of the before and after. I want you to know this. This is very exciting. Since you've painted our building, the person across from us painted their building, the person next to us painted their building, and the person down from them painted their building. So you inspired the the revitalization of our little downtown by, by your willingness to come and paint. And, and you know, these, these are the things that make a difference because do you know this gentleman has never said thank you for us painting his building? We came, y'all came there and painted this guy's building for him on your dime and he's never said thank you for that. I, I don't have to have his thank, thank you. It's only just to tell you, just how dark it is there and how much it means to a community when these crazy people will drive across the country to paint somebody's building uh, for free, that, that, that kind of flips people's wig, you know. And uh, that's the kind of things that we, we, we want to do. Those are the, the stories that we want to tell, Right of God doing awesome things, doing things that don't make sense. If you read the Bible, it's full of stories of God asking His people to do things that don't make any sense. But they do in His economy. He understands what they're doing. And you have been a great witness uh, to to Elizabethtown by your faithfulness. Hey, you know, we just had a... Um, uh, it, we... We have an online presence, and I just encourage you, if you ever... Uh, I know you guys, when it snows, you know, a quarter of an inch, y'all are closing down church. We don't close down church up there when it snows. it snows 10 feet, we still have church. Uh, if you ever uh, want to watch a service, you can, you can hop over to ours if you're, if you're getting snowed out. But it, it's cool for me when I'm away to get to watch uh, what's going on there. And before we left... Um, One Sunday, a gentleman came downstairs, he came from upstairs, and he had a guitar in his hand, and he walked up to the door of our church Sunday morning, and he said, "Uh, I live upstairs, I never met him before in my life, I've heard him, because he's playing music very loud, and it was kind of making me mad, to be honest, And, and I was like, you're the guy, huh? And uh, he walks in the door and he says, you know what, I have been listening to your sermons and they're changing my life. And I said, (laughs) yeah, I said, what do you mean they're changing? You're like listening to it online? He said, no, I hear you through the floor. (laughs) He's like, I hear you perfectly. Perfectly. I hear every word you're saying. This is news to me. I've wondered if anyone could hear me. I kind of speak up so that maybe I'm preaching to everyone that lives upstairs. But he said, I hear what you're saying, and and I'm trying to change my life, and I thought I needed to come down and be down here. And he came to the service. I will say to you that he has some very severe uh, mental—he has schizophrenia, and um, we had some very difficult conversations. He— he believes that possibly that he uh, has been told he is the Holy Spirit, which I told him immediately that that's satanic and not to believe that, and uh, that he is believes in numerology and he's he has all these uh, he's open to all these spirits and he 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 thinks there's something to be said for God and then he opened up his phone and he showed me a hundred pictures of this green orb that is following him around and I tell you I saw that I saw this. <laughs> You could say it's a lens flare. It wasn't around anybody else but him. And uh, not a few weeks later, he was found laying out in the street with his shirt off in the middle of the night, and the police came and got him. And uh, it was just very sad to me um, having this conversation and seeing God draw him. And I I wondered if that maybe was the end of his story. I did hear that he has moved back in with his parents and... uh, But I looked online while we have been gone, and I saw a little head, and it was Tim. Tim had come back. (laughs) So that's not the end of the story for Tim. So pray for Tim. God is is speaking. He is using uh, our church, and he is working up there. But the challenges are great. The spiritual warfare is real. The darkness is real. Some of the most post-Christian cities in the nation are right in the smack dab in the middle of where we live. It's a very difficult place spiritually, very spiritually dark. You know it's spiritually dark when you ask the church whose name is the Church of Christ in Unity if you could rent space from them and they tell you, we don't want to be associated with you. (laughs) So that, that that tells you something. Guys, I want to spend some time with you in Luke chapter five this morning, and uh, it's the story of the paralytic, and um, and I always think about how I could leverage um, what we're doing and how maybe you're inspired because I, I do have a lot of interaction with you and. And people say, you know, I'm really inspired by what you're doing. I'm encouraged by what you're doing. Your willingness to leave your, the comforts of where you were born and go across the country. And, and, uh, and, and something I hear a lot, and it kind of grieves me a little bit, but um, I realize that this is also true about me. You know, We live in the Adirondack Park. Six million acres. You could fit like eight of the biggest national parks in the country inside the Adirondacks. That's how big it is. We have 90 inches of snow, average snowfall 90 inches a year. And people say, I can never do that. <laughs> you love snow. We well, Come up and see us. Maybe God's calling you there. Um, you know, people say, I can, nev- I can never do that. We hear that a lot. That's probably what I hear more than anything. And, you know, we always think, you know, this isn't like easy for us. This is, you know, this is not something we particularly love to do is spend six months of snow on the ground, 90 inches of snow. But I, I think about that, too, because my, my I would say that sometimes I think about the city. I'm a country mouse. I think I can never live in the city. And maybe you've said that uh, with God, there's something you know. Things that you say that you will never do, or you're never willing to do. Well, I, I hope that you would uh, give God a blank check, beginning now, and say, you know, God, I, I'm uncomfortable with this. This seems like a scary proposition for me, but I love you so much, and I am so grateful for the new life I have in you, that I want, to, I, I want to have the willingness to say, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, Lord. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. And I, I, I think that there are great things that could take place if God's people would have such a, a willingness to do what he's asking them to do. And I'll, I'll say this to you. It may be that you're missing out on the fullness of what it is to follow Jesus because you have set limits to your willingness to go and follow Him and be faithful. You know, this was scared us to death six six years ago when we decided to go up there. But I remember so very clearly the conversation that Donna and I had with each other. We wanted the God stories. We wanted the God stories. We wanted to tell these stories of God's faithfulness and how God provided and the things that God was doing. And you never will really experience those things in, in the security, in the comfort of, of your life that says, I'm only willing to do what I'm comfortable with. God's called us to a life of missions. He's called us a life of faithfulness and abandonment to the gospel and, and willingness to say, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. Not my will, but yours. Luke chapter 5 here is a, is a, a fascinating story. There are characters in the story that we're going to look at today. And I want you to read uh, chapter 5 of me. And we're going to start in verse 17. And uh, I want us to notice some characters and how those characters in this story apply t- to, to our lives. Chapter five of Luke verse seventeen. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the Lord and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom he sought to bring in and lay before him, and when they could not find. How they might bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on a housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed on his own to his house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed. They glorified God. They were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. That's what I want. People to say, We've seen strange things today. This is not normal. This is not usual. That's the, what our, that's the way our lives should be described and defined. And we've seen strange things because we've been around these believers. We're watching God work in powerful ways. We can't explain what's going on, but something is happening. This is such a fascinating story to me. What you notice here first is that um, oftentimes Jesus uh, would preach in, in people's homes I think that's an encouragement to you and I. A lot of our spiritual conversations take place within inside the four walls of the church, don't they? But it ought to be said that they take place outside as well. Great things happen where spiritual conversations take place in homes, in coffee shops, in businesses. And I think this is a, a, a point of interest for you and I to know that God can work in these uh, strange ways, outside of the four walls of the church. And I think that's the design of the church, that what takes place in here affects what goes on out there, that you take with you what God is teaching you, the fellowship and the encouragement, and you take it out into the world. How are we going to reach the world with the gospel if we aren't having spiritual conversations outside the walls? That's why I love that cafe setting for me. I've said it many times, I'm not really sure that I can even do what I do up there without it. It seems so essential to what I do because I have so, so many spiritual conversations that I wouldn't have otherwise sitting around a table drinking coffee. You know, when I moved up there, I thought that there was some amount of fear that I was going to have in those conversations but what I realize is that you know, people all over, it doesn't matter if you're from the south or north or another country people are created for a relationship and they want to talk about spiritual things and we need to be having those conversations but I want us to move to the first character in this passage here. First we see the man notice the man in this passage I think what stands out to us first about this man. And this is even how we describe the passage. It's the story of the paralytic. I would say to you that this is really the story of Jesus. He's the central character of the story, but I don't want to jump ahead too fast. But I want to say to you that there is a man described here, and this man is a paralytic, and he is helpless. He can't do anything for himself. He's not able to to move himself about. He's not able to um, get himself where he needs to go. He's dependent on others. But what does Jesus do when he interacts with the man, the paralytic? The first thing he says to him is that your sins are forgiven. We need to take note of that. That's strange. That doesn't align uh, with our thought process in this passage. Well, this man can't walk. And what God should be doing for him here is healing him of his physical ailment, his inability to walk. But he says, your sins are forgiven. I think the first thing we need to notice about this man is that what is most important in his life is not his physical ailment, but his spiritual lostness. That's what's most important. You know, many of us are living uh, in, in, in some amount of pain because of some physical ailment, or something has befallen us, or we're going through a hard time, and that thing that we're dealing with, that loss, that, that, the pain, the struggle that we're going through, it, it dominates our life and it dominates our thoughts. But what we realize from this passage through the person of Jesus that our greatest need, our greatest need is not our physical restoration, but it's our spiritual restoration. It's our spiritual restoration. This speaks to the spiritual nature of man. Guys, I want you to know today that you need Jesus You need Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. You need Him to come into your life and change your life. You need the blood of a sinless Savior to cover you from the wrath of a holy, awesome, righteous God. And that's what's most important to you. You know, Jesus here could have healed this man immediately. And that would have been the end of the story. And this man could have jumped for joy because of his new lease on life and his ability to move around. And he could have lived a, a happy and prosperous life. But do you know the what? When he died, without Christ's forgiveness, he would have spent eternity in hell apart from Him. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? So many of us are focusing our energies and attentions in the wrong places. And what's most important, what's most needful for us is eternal salvation, the forgiveness of sins, that spirit of adoption, that I am now a child of the God of the universe. That's what Christ uh, is telling us in this passage. It's, It's very important. It may be something that we would miss this morning. It's essential for us to understand that. That when all this takes place, when they're going through the crowd and they're lowering through the roof, and he sits there before Jesus, Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven. That's his greatest need. That's your need and my need. That's the greatest need that we have today. There's another interesting aspect of the man he is totally helpless. And that is the spiritual state that you and I are in. We have no recourse. All our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. We're so desperate for him. Romans 5, 6 says this, When we were unable to help ourselves, at that moment of our need, Christ died for us. Although we were living against God, very few people will die to save the life of someone else. Although perhaps for a good person, someone might, might possibly die. But God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So through Christ, we are surely will be saved from God's anger because we have been made right with the God by the blood of Christ's death. While we were God's enemies, he made friends with us through the death of his son. Surely now we are his friends, and he will save us through his son's life. When we were unable to help ourselves. The, the, the physical state of this man speaks to the spiritual state that you and I are in. We are utterly incapable of saving ourselves we have no recourse and if not for the grace of God we would have no hope no hope at all here's the here's the good news about that that in our helplessness Christ meets us there it's a good thing that you're helpless here's a problem that we have and this is something I've noticed in ministry in a lot of conversations I have with people, they will say they think that they come to God on their terms. That's the way their minds work. And I understand that. They think, I've just got to get my act together. i got to stop cursing more. You know, I, I, I'm, I need to start going to church more. I, I, I better stop doing this and that. And they, they, they uh, create some kind of deal with God. And I think it's funny if you think about the story of the parable of the, of the, uh, the prodigal son. After he had come to himself, he, he, he prepared a speech, didn't he? <laughs> he prepared a speech for, for, for the father. Oh, this is how I'm going to, this is how things are going to work, uh, father. I'm going to return to you and, and I'm going to, and, and you know what? The father's like, I'm not, I'm not listening to your story. He wraps his arms around him, prepares a feast for him. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel. Christ will take you right as you are, just as you are. In your brokenness, in your helplessness, he meets you there. That's the state of man. That's our situation today, guys, that we are absolutely helpless. And if not for God's grace, we would have no hope. But then there are the friends. That's another character in this story. There are friends here. And the friends, a true friends, know who can heal us. And this is where our evangelistic uh, fervor comes into play. This is what the calling that God has put on our lives. He's saved you and given you a ministry of reconciliation. You have a purpose now. God didn't die on the cross so that you could sit on a cloud and just go to heaven. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. He's going to put you to work. You're his now. It's not about just praying a prayer and getting blessings and going to heaven. He has a plan for us, a purpose for us. He, got, he has work for us to do. And that is to be about his business and leading people to him. Do you realize how many people need a friend? Guys, I, I spend a lot of time uh, exegeting the culture in the town that I live in, trying to grap- grapple with the struggles and the difficulties there. And, and what I have gathered is that there are so many people who are lonely and ostracized? I have I have, a, I have a gentleman that he passed away about a year ago, who was a convicted sex offender, and I would have people walk he would come to our church, he gave his life to Christ. He had some mental health issues. People would come by, and uh, they would eat, actually cuss him out on the street, uh, you know to his face. There's a gentleman that comes to our church that's been coming to Bible studies now. He lives upstairs for two years. He didn't say one word to me and uh, he's begun a conversation and we've been reading the Bible together. He's been reading his Bible. He he, he has his his family lives right down the road. Hasn't seen him in years. Don't, Don't don't even try to reach out to him. In fact, he came into the cafe the other day with half of his head shaved. He said, I couldn't. Cut the back of my head, so I cut his hair <laughs> in the cafe there. I shaved, I shaved his hair. That that was a first at the cafe. You never know what to expect there. The next day, he came in and brought me this beautiful piece of art. It was a piece of wood that he had drilled holes into and whittled the wood out, and it was amazing. I have it on the wall in, in, our, in our church there. But there's these people that are fall, fall through the cracks. You know, and, and I think when, when we think about our, our church growth strategies, it's, it's about how can I attract Christians to come to my church? And w- what I would consider success for your church is that you're growing based upon people that you're leading to the Lord. That ought to be what motivates you. That people, that the church grows based upon people that you're leading to Christ. Guys, these are the... The least of these. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we we don't prefer the least of these. They don't smell quite like they do. They don't have the same money that we do. They don't live where we do. They have mental health issues. They're hard to talk to. Some of the relationships are draining. And let's be honest, guys. we, We kind of avoid that kind of stuff. That, that's not the stuff I want in my life. I'm trying to live my best life now and I want things to be pretty smooth and, and I don't really want to get my hands dirty in this person's life or in my neighbor's life. But do you realize that we have, the, we have the light of the gospel and we can be a friend to someone who has no recourse, who is totally helpless and help lead them to Christ. But we prefer our comfort. See what defines these friends here is they know they know who can heal this man. And the second thing you notice here about these friends is their determination. Their determination. You know, they ran into a big crowd of people and you know, at that point many of us would probably say, "Hey, you know what? John, I don't think we're going to make it today. There's a lot of people here. It's pretty crowded. I got a golf game." four. So if we're going to get this done, we're running out of time. Do you you with me? They had a lot of determination. They said, we're going to get him to Jesus. Hey, they had so much determination, they're going to smash a hole in the roof so that they could get him and lower him. down. I I would love to have been there. That's one of the Bible stories that I would have loved to have been there and seen, right? I mean, I don't know what was taking place that they were like ripping off palm fronds or smashing concrete. I don't know what was. Can you imagine this scene? That's a lot of determination. And it's a lot more determination than some of us have. We won't even walk across the street or knock on a door, you know, or sign up for a mission team. See, there's a lost and dying world that has no hope If not for those of us who have been imbued with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the gospel, the light of the gospel, lives change to go and reach them for the gospel. What fuels their determination? It's their faith. And it may be today that the lack of determination you have is because you're just not really sure about this stuff. That's what I have to question about myself. That's what we have to question about ourselves. They are so determined that this thing is real. I can imagine that Jesus, and we know this about Him, He gathered quite a crowd and He spoke a lot and He said a lot of things about who He was and their motivation to get Him to Jesus' feet is that this guy can really heal us. That this guy can do something. That this guy has power. And do we believe that? If we are so moved by faith in Him, and so convinced of the power of the Gospel, and have seen it so radically transform our lives, it will motivate our evangelism. It will move us. It will move us. It will give us a determination that we desperately need because we live in a world now that is growing increasingly dark. And it, it is the opposition to our message is increasing day by day. And just like the first church in Acts, we're going to have to get on our knees and we're going to have to pray, brother. Pray that we don't live in fear, but that God would make us bold to proclaim the Gospel because we believe it because God has done that in our life. He's changed our life. Third character here, and this is the main character, this Jesus. You know what I love about Jesus is His willingness to heal us. You know, if you were sitting here today and you're not sure if Christ can forgive you of your sins, you're saying, Pastor, I don't, you don't know me. You don't know. I'm speaking to you today. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, I, I don't know if Jesus can forgive me. I don't know if I'm a church person. I'm not really sure. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know what I've done. I want you to know this. Christ died willingly for your sins and for mine. And He loves you. And he wants to meet you where you are. This is not about you getting your act together. You, in the brokenness of the moment, say, God, I I have nothing. And I realize you love me and you died for me. He has a willingness to save you, He wants to save you, and He has the ability to heal us. He's not just willing. But he's able, because what did he say? What would it be better for me to do? Say your sins are forgiven or heal this man? And as proof that he is God, he healed the man. That's why Jesus did the miracles he did. He said the things that he did that were so outrageous to the Pharisees. They were considered blasphemies, but he backed up what He said about Himself with miracles. God is able, Jesus is able to forgive you. He has the ability to forgive you. He's capable, He is able to forgive you. And that leads us to the last character in the story. And that character is you and I. We are here in this passage in the place of the Pharisee this morning. I really hope that when you read Scripture, and I would encourage you to not look at this book as some history book or some just chicken soup for the soul lesson for the day. This Bible is as relevant as it was then as it is today. It it is the eternal Word of God. Its power transcends time. And what Jesus is telling us through this passage today is that it's possible that it is you and I that sit in the seat of the Pharisee this morning. And what do I mean by that? You think that these Pharisees, having witnessed this miracle and seen a man who was a paralytic get up and walk, would rejoice, would you not? but they were angry. What gives? What do we make of that? What do we understand about that this morning? Going back to another parable that I'm reminded of, the parable of the prodigal son. A lot of times we think that's just about the first son. It's as much about the second son as it is the first son. Having seen the first son restored, what does the second son say? What about me? He's not excited. He's angry. He's mad. He's mad because he's built his life on his own righteousness. He's justified himself before God based on his goodness. And the Pharisees are offended that this person who can come in and say he forgives sins. How dare you say that? I've spent my whole life following the law and living a righteous life. And you would dare come in here and say that you forgive sins. This man hasn't done any of the things that I've done. And he comes in here before you and you just say you're saved. Your sins are forgiven. How could that be? You know, about six months ago, I um, got to have a great conversation with a new friend. And this friendship began almost two years ago during COVID. And during COVID, he's a, he owns a restaurant in town. He was started watching the sermons online. And uh, he started asking me questions. And we, there's a group of guys that have daughters, all daughters in the community. And we rock climb and we ride mountain bikes, and we ice climb, and we kayak, we, we go paddling. He started coming to church, and he was making some professions of faith, and he talked a lot about loving the Lord. And he was, a lot of the conversations were frustrating with him because he was struggling a lot, and he would say, you know, he, he would say, I, I just, I pray, I'm praying with all my might. And, and that, 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 is a, that is a tell there. Because he he thinks that his justification, his righteousness before God, his position before God is based upon the, the ferocity of his prayer life. Now, he grew up an Episcopalian, and he was baptized as an infant. And he told me that I was baptized as an infant, and I was told just to be a good person, and I was saved. And this was the crux for him. And one day I went into his cafe and uh, his restaurant. No one was in there. And we sat down and we had a long conversation together and we got to the crux of what his problem was. And I I, I I said, Josh, this is another Josh. I said, your your problem is here. The the struggle you have here is that your, your, your justification before God is based upon your goodness and not his goodness. And that's your struggle this morning. That's your struggle, Josh. That, that it's all about you praying hard enough or doing good enough. You know. And that's the that's the the struggle for you and I today. And he had to come to grips with the reality that he stands before God not based upon his goodness, but based upon Jesus' goodness. And I think he He's like we're—he's. This isn't a world away from us. This is the struggle that we have here. I grew up in the South. I pastored in the South. The problem that we have here is cultural Christianity, where you grew up in a church. It's no different than this man who was baptized as an infant and just told to be a good ch- person. And I live in a Christian culture down here, and I go to church, and I say the right things, and I don't cuss on Sunday, and you build your righteousness up uh, before God. It's a self-righteousness. And if I asked you the question, what would it take for you to go to heaven? The the answer to you would be, well, I love Jesus, and uh, I'm just going to be a good person. And that's not the answer to that question. But it it is for so many of us. See, we are justified before the Lord. What makes us right before Jesus? If we stand at the pearly gates this morning, this is maybe life-changing for some. If we stand there at the gates of heaven at the end of our life, and Jesus says, why should I let you in? If it's anything other than Jesus Christ's blood covers me, then you're lost in sin and you have no hope. If it's anything about you, then you have no hope. See, we're so utterly dependent on him. We're so utterly dependent on him. I love this other passage in scripture in Luke. Turn with me in chapter to Luke chapter 18. This is such an important understanding. It, it speaks to this, this, this counsel that he gives here. Verse 9, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. This is what we're talking about this morning. And despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one Pharisee and the other a tax collector. There's two people. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, exhaustioners unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, these are red letters. These are the words of Jesus. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does Jesus say about justification? It is to humble ourselves before the God of the universe and say, I don't have any credentials. I don't have a resume of goodness. Nothing I do is good. It is all for to glorify self. When we are justified by our works, then we feel good about ourselves when we do pray hard enough. We say, hey, maybe there's something to this. Maybe I am a good prayer. Maybe I am righteous. And then we start to puff ourselves up and we think God is pleased with us because of our efforts and of our goodness And the opposite of that is that when we are not doing good, we feel very alone and distant. We feel like God doesn't love us and we may even ask the question, do I even know Jesus? To be justified by His righteousness and goodness is to enjoy a spirit of adoption. That I'm a son and a daughter of the King of the universe. In my my status before God is not based upon anything I do. It's based upon what He did. It's based upon that God came down to heaven, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for me, forgave me of my sins there. And now, just like this uh, sinner this here, I say, God, if You don't show me mercy, I have no hope. I have nothing to offer You. God, I need Your righteousness imparted to me this morning. That's what we need today. Justification by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. I hope that you don't boast this morning about your goodness before God. I hope that you are placing your faith fully and wholly on the person of Jesus, that you stand before Him at the pearly gates based upon his righteousness and not your righteousness that's the conversation that I had with Josh that day Josh prayed to receive Christ that very moment there in his own restaurant do you know what his dad started coming to church they would leave his mom and dad would leave their the episcopal church after the service, because they felt connected over there and they didn't want to leave those people out. And they would come over to our church and worship with us. And they would come every Wednesday. And do you know what? About a month ago, uh, Josh's father ran into the cafe and was like, I've got to talk to you. I closed the door, locked the door. He said, I've got to be baptized. (laughs) And I said, well, let's talk about that. And he, it's the same story. You know, he, he grew up Catholic, was not involved in church, just started going back to the Episcopal Church. We've been going through the book of Galatians, and, you know, that's all about justification by grace. And we've spent three months in that book. And he said, I want to be baptized as well. And we prayed. He prayed to receive Christ. And he, the next Sunday, he came down, and told the whole church that he, that he had given his life to Jesus. And he wants to be baptized with his son. So when I get back, I get to baptize Rick Alcott and Josh Alcott. That's awesome, guys. But do you see the crux for them? You see what was the sticking point, what the problem was that God had to deal with in their life, and maybe it's the same problem that he has to deal with in your life today, is that they are thinking that they're okay before God because they go to a church or they were baptized or they prayed a prayer, but their faith in their goodness, in their righteousness, and their just their justification is based upon their goodness. And they have not been broken before the Lord of the universe, the God of the universe, entrusted fully upon His grace this morning. Hey, there's some exciting uh, repercussions as we draw to a conclusion this morning of of God's healing and God's um, salvation. And we see it here in the final of verses in this passage. Read in verse 25 with me. Immediately he rose before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed... And they glorified God, and they filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Hey, the result of this is the glory of God. That's what we were created for. At the end of the day, we're created for His glory. Do you know Christ died on the cross ultimately for His glory? I know we say a lot that He died on the cross for you. But ultimately... Ultimately, above all else, everything that God does is for His glory. Are you okay with that? It's not good if it has something to do with us. But if it has something to do with Him, we should understand that He's the God of the universe. He does everything for His glory. Because He's God, before there was anything, there was nothing. And out of nothing, He spoke everything into existence. And He created you and me. And do you know that we were made for His glory? To bring glory to God. Your salvation and your restoration and your changed life is ultimately about His glory. To reflect the glory of God to the lost and dying world till He returns again someday and takes us up with it. Guys, I hope that our lives are a glory to God. I hope they're a glory to God. To him. That's what you were made for. That's what you were created for. We've seen strange things today. I want that to be what people say about me. I want people, that's what people say about your church, about my church. That God's working in such powerful ways to change lives. That we're really good friends. And we know where people, we know where the healing is. And we're willing to get out of our comfort zone, to go meet people in their uh, struggles and be a good friend. And we have a determination fueled by our faith. We believe this stuff. It's real. God's done it in my life, and He can do it in your life too. Jesus is willing and able to save. He has the ability to change your life today. I pray that that's what God can do in our lives with heads bowed, eyes closed. I know uh, Scotty's going to want to do something here at the end, but I just want to pray with you and just um, thank you for this opportunity. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I just love your word today. Your word's so powerful. Father, I'm just so encouraged by these stories and I'm just so encouraged by who you are and and what you're doing in my life, and how you're using me, and you're just building my faith day by day. And God, I thank you that you allow me to preach your truth and your word. And I I just, I really believe that you're speaking to somebody this morning. I know that your word does not go out void. It's working in power. And Father, I just pray that you would convict us through your Holy Spirit. To be the church you've called us to be, and Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would draw people to you into a relationship with you. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal sin and deception, and if there's anyone today who who thinks that this is something something about this is about them, if they are putting any faith and trust in their own righteousness for their salvation lord I, I pray. That You would create in them just a great humility and brokenness over their sin. And that they would reach uh, to You like, like this uh, tax collector who, who just, he can't even look up. He's so humbled before, for You, God, that he just says, God, have mercy on me. Lord, we love You and praise You. We thank You for the blood shed on the cross for us. We thank You for the new life we have God, we love you and we praise you. And Father, we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here. And I just wanted to say thank you